Paul insults an entire island full of people, and he gives Philemon a holy guilt trip. All this and more in the book of Titus and Philemon. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, comment, get the good news out there. And what are we in today? We're in. We're going to do Titus and Philemon. So Two books. So we're getting toward the end. <clears throat> you know, Paul's letters are arranged in, basically in terms of their length. Mm-hmm. There's some categories too, but so the, the shortest ones come last. Philemon is the wee little book, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll tackle that. And then as we get to the end of the New Testament too, we'll have a couple of episodes of some of the books paired up together. Cool. Because especially first, our second and third John are super short. Right. So we're we're tackling two books, both by the Apostle Paul. Um, and both two individuals. Mm-hmm. So Titus is um, to Titus, and Philemon is um, to Philemon. Impressive. Yeah, not not too great creative scholarly with the uh, work there. Yeah, not too creative <laughs> with the naming back then. But we've so we've we were in the pastoral epistles epistles. So we've seen first and second Timothy, who were sent to Timothy, who's in Ephesus mm-hmm. doing ministry, and Titus has a similar job to. Timothy, he's went, he's, he's went around, he's gone around with Paul, helping to start churches, mm-hmm. equipping leaders in the churches, establishing them. And right now he's in Crete, which is an island in the Mediterranean, if mm-hmm. you're not aware. So it's kind of a, a, a good sized island that's in between a lot of different things. So it became an important place of trade. Titus, um, who is he? He's mentioned quite a few times. He's not mentioned as much as Timothy. But Titus is still mentioned a few times. He seems to be, he's, he's a Greek believer. Not seems to be, he is a Greek believer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's mentioned like in 2 Corinthians 8.23, he mentions Titus, he's my fellow partner and fellow worker for your benefit. So that's how he describes him. So he's working with Paul, partnering the ministry, building up churches. We see him in Galatians 2, traveling with Paul. Um, he accompanies Paul on his missionary journeys. Acts 15, Acts 27, or I should say Acts 15, he's with Paul. And then in Acts 27 is the only other mention of Crete in the New Testament. And Paul is shipwrecked there. So he ends up on Crete. And there's, yeah, there's theories of like, well, that that's when he evangelized Crete. And then Timothy, or sorry, Titus comes back later and helps establish the church. I mean, he it doesn't seem like he's there for very long. That's mm-hmm. the biggest problem. So if Paul is... Doing, I mean, he's always evangelizing people, but is that enough for him to really start the church? I think a better idea might be that just Titus has gone there to start this church hmm. or has taken on some work that someone else started. So that's the best guess we have. Makes sense. Not much detail given. But Crete is an important center of trade, as I mentioned, because of its location. So a lot of ships would end up there, get kind of restocked, and then move on somewhere else. But it's also known for its evil. And Fair. so, yeah, Paul says one of one of my favorite little, you know, <laughs> Paul phrases in chapter one, verse twelve. He says, "One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons." So he he quotes from one of their poets mm-hmm. about how terrible they are, and then he says, "This testimony is true." <laughs> I love it. Oh yeah, that's that's hundred percent true. These people are terrible. Um, so maybe not the most. You know, culturally sensitive or missiologically uh, astute statement from Paul, but you know he's smarter than us, so just pretty funny. But actually, well, the word for 
a Cretan in in uh, Greek was actually used as the word for liar. Oh, interesting. So that that's how much they were associated with evil, mm-hmm. debaucherous living, and lying. So these were not the greatest people. So Titus is in a tough mission field, and we'll see that kind of reflected in the book, some of the stuff he's, he's instructing him to, to focus on and to do. Cool. When was Titus written? Again, not sure, but probably around the time of 1 Timothy, so mm-hmm. maybe late 50s, early 60s, something like that. Yeah. So it seems because it ha- has some of the similar themes. Maybe he's, uh, and obviously it's already, these churches are already getting established. It's a little further along in Paul's ministry. Cool. And uh, why was it written? Well, Titus focuses on what the church should look like, right? It's chapter 2, verse 1 is sort of the theme verse, right? Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Right. So teach, so the themes in the book are teaching sound doctrine, order in the church, and he has some of these household codes, some of the focus on relationships in the church, how we should relate as older, younger, all that sort of stuff. Right. And the outline? Outline, um, I try to give a simple outline here. Chapter one is the pastor's job. Mm-hmm. So he has one kind of central job here. Chapter two, the church's function. And chapter three, the Christian's duty. Mm. Cool. So all meant to be very, very practical and helpful and applicable to us today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we preached through it uh, this year. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was very fun. So chapter one, the pastor's job. We can just jump right into it. Sounds good. And uh, when I preached on this, I said, you have one job, one job, right? <laughs> That's right. Just Perfect. that idea of like, don't mess up that one thing you were supposed to do. And this, it's, you know, it's all about the preaching. This mm-hmm. is all about the preaching. So even in this intro, verses one through three, he, he says that all of this, verse three, was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. So the, the way that God's revealing his salvation, revealing his promises is now through our preaching. Mm-hmm. And so Titus's one job focuses on equipping people for that task. Mm-hmm. Very simple. So Titus's one job, verse five, this is why I left you in Crete, <laughs> so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So develop leaders, develop those who are going to be spiritual leaders and do the work of teaching. Right. And then he goes into the qualifications for, for elders. And people have pointed out that um, in Timothy here, uh, we don't see the same. Let me see here if I can find it here. We don't see the same phrasing as we do in Timothy of uh, n- not being a new believer, mm-hmm. right? Um, that he, he must not be a new believer. So they might have had... It might be a younger church, might be a little tougher is kind of the idea. So new believers are more in view here than in Timothy. Timothy's a little more established in Ephesus. So again, a little bit of speculation there. But verse 9 is is pretty key. It says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So an, an elder, his job is summed up. And we have a little bit more about his job in Titus than in Timothy. As we said, there's not a whole lot talked about the task, but the task is very simple. Stay true to the word in order to teach, to build up people, and to rebuke those mm-hmm. who are false. So there's a positive, there's a negative aspect. Right. And you have to do both. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to be a nice guy who likes to teach the word, who just wants everyone to get along. Pastors can be that way. You have to actually say no to certain things. Yeah, just like being a parent, right? <laughs> you can't you can't avoid as 
many in the modern world do, the negative side of parenting, of discipline, of saying, no, that's not okay. You, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's the same in, in the church. It's the same in every area of life, right? There's You have to do the positive and the <coughs> negative. Mm-hmm. And so he's very clear about this. And then verse 10, he gives the situation in Crete. This is why this is so important. And he gets in kind of the more negative aspect of the pastor's job, the rebuking part. Verse 10, he says, for, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So again, circumcision party is a group of people who are trying to say that we have to uh, abide by Old Testament law. Mm-hmm. So these people are coming in, they're saying, they're trying to add things to the gospel. And he's saying, you have to oppose these people who are seeking to deceive God's people. Right. And of course, it's not just that Judaizer aspect. There's also the Greek secular um, licentious living of the Cretans. So verse 12 again, right? (laughs) They're they're all bad people. (laughs) This is true. And he says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So again, that sounds like a harsh thing. You can't get away from that. Rebuke them sharply is meant to be that that's a tough thing. Right. It's tough to have someone say, confront you on your living to point out the error of your ways and to bring you the truth, but you cannot get away from that as a leader in the church. Right. So Timothy focus second Timothy focuses on more on the gentleness side of that. Here it sounds a little more harsh. But in all of it, our motive is love. Is to see people changed, to bring them into the truth. So that's that's the whole idea. Yeah. Chapter two, we see the church's function. So he turns again to Titus's job, verse uh, chapter two, verse one. He says, "But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine." So you're teaching based upon the doctrine of Scripture, and we go in chapter two. We see how should older and younger believers live? How what's the what's the household of God supposed to look like? Mm -hmm. Is the idea how does the church function? And there we, we could go through a lot of the specifics here, but. What I want you to see specific to Titus is the purpose of the church functioning well is that God's name would not be disgraced in the world. Mm -hmm. So how we live as a church impacts our witness to the world. Mm -hmm. So chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you know, women should live this way that the word of God may not be reviled. Mm. So how you live in the home, how a wife engages with her husband, submits to his leadership, all those things, it will affect whether we are able to give the message. Mm-hmm. Our, our life and community matters a lot. Chapter 2, verse 8. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Mm. So he's, he's focusing on the order in the home as he does so often because he's saying Christian isn't meant to be this revolution that overturns society and the, the good order that's laid out in the home, but it should actually uphold that good order mm-hmm. in terms of what certain roles are, the values, having peace and living in harmony together, those things matter. And they give us a foundation by which to share the gospel. Yeah. And then verse verse 10 as well, I think gives us in a positive way, but he says, so, so again, he's giving more instructions to bond servants and masters, so that, verse 10, in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Right. Adorn the doctrine. So putting it on, displaying it to the world. That's kind of the idea of adorning, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, To show, display outwardly this truth that we've been taught. Mm -hmm. So live in a way that your faith is displayed by those works. And so we could talk a lot about how that looks. And again, there's specifics we see in this section that you can go back and 
read over and ruminate on. Chapter 2, verse 11 verse through 14, um, this is what motivates everything in the church, right? Um, grace and hope and redemption. So really great passage here, right, that we're, um, we're training ourselves to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And verse 13, we're waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Hmm. So God is going to appear, so we're living now in a way that prepares for that. And um, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Yeah. So live for God, do good for him, because this fits with the purpose for which we were redeemed. Yeah. So just some great, some great words. Another one of those great words is in chapter 3. So chapter 3 is the Christian's duty, but verses 4 through 7 are just an amazing, amazing memory verse. You should all yep. memorize this great scripture that speaks of the gospel. It says, When the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Mm-hmm. So very clear again, this is not about what we do. Right. It's about his mercy toward us, that he was merciful to not punish us as we deserved. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, but according, uh, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we've been regenerated or born again, and we've been given renewal by the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, just a, a great gospel uh, message there, yeah. in, encapsulation of the gospel. So Titus ends with some, some personal notes. That are, that are good. I mean, we have, again, more specifics for the Christian life in chapter 3, but, um, but he ends with some, some personal notes, as he often does. And then verse 14 sums up a lot of what the book has been about. Um, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Hmm. So you've been, you've been saved. You have the good word. So now the church should look like a place where good works are flourishing and displayed clearly for the benefit of other people, right? There's going to be needs that come up. We as Christians should move towards those needs, seek to help people, and uh, and to not be unfruitful. Yeah. Challenging mission Titus has when yeah. he goes to create. Right? Absolutely. So Titus, it was a short journey through the book, but... Yeah. It's a good journey, to, though. Yeah. We should talk about Philemon, though. Philemon's a great book. Philemon's awesome. So Even five, shorter, but it's, gonna, it's short but mighty, and and I think just yeah. so interesting. There's interesting issues here, but so Philemon, <coughs> just again to give you this basic story of Philemon, you can read it in <coughs> five minutes, maybe three minutes. I don't know. It's very short, and Philemon is a book written to a man named Philemon, mm-hmm. who is an acquaintance of Paul's, a friend of his, seems to be a convert of Paul's, and also a slave owner. Mm-hmm. So controversial for us. Not controversial back then. Yeah. And again, slavery wasn't exactly what we think of when we think Child of slavery. slavery yeah. But but still, you know, there's there's issues here. And so Philemon's slave, Onesimus, who we saw in the book of Colossians, mm-hmm. it has run away from from Philemon. Mm-hmm. There's debate as to why he ran away. Is it just straight up, you know, underground railroad kind of situation, or is there something else going on here? But either way, he ran away from him. And he still owes a debt to Philemon. Philemon still has ownership over him. And on his journey away from Philemon, Onesimus ran into Paul. Hmm. And you got to be careful when you run into Paul because you might get saved. Right? And he, <laughs> he has a way of converting people. And, 
And so that's what happened to Onesimus. Hmm. Paul becomes his father in the faith, as he references in this letter. And so now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter in hand. And basically in the letter, Paul is, like we said, he's kind of laying a holy guilt trip on Philemon. And he's basically saying to Philemon, you need to free Onesimus uh-huh. and send him back to me so he can minister with me. <laughs> and uh, Give me your slave. <laughs> yeah, and so I just love the, the comments throughout the book of, you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner here. I'm in chains. Um, I'm really in prison here. You know, like I'm in need. And you have some someone that, you know, is useful to me. And Philemon, I kind of saved your life, right? Like I gave you the gospel. So it's, it's funny, but it's, it's good. And it, I think it does speak in a big way to the issue of slavery mm-hmm. and how Christians should look at slavery. Because I think if we, if we don't understand this correctly or if we think the Bible doesn't speak to these issues... Um, it's a it's a way that I think our world undermines our belief in Scripture. Hmm. That Scripture didn't care about these issues or didn't look to them. So um, it's an interesting little letter, and uh, we'll we'll kind of see this. So one thing to note: Onesimus, Onesimus's name means useful. Hmm. So he's going to say Onesimus is useful to me. He wasn't useful to you. Now he's useful to me. So it's kind of a play on words there. And some claim that Onesimus, this Onesimus, became the bishop of Ephesus. Interesting. Afterward. So debate about that as well, but there is, you know, historical evidence that way. And so Paul probably wrote this letter not just as a letter to Philemon, but as a letter uh, to a little bit of a broader audience. So it kind of meant to be read somewhat publicly, maybe in the church, to to push Philemon towards doing the right thing. Hmm. Um, and uh, there's something else I was going to say, but I forget. Must not have been that important. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive in here. So Philemon. So we have the, some of the intro stuff here. Verse 8, though, we'll start there. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So he's, he's saying, I'm not going to command you to do what I want, even though like I could. Yeah. And and I don't again, I don't think like Paul's being sneaky here. I think he's just being open. And I, I like this as a principle. I think it's a good principle to learn from for church leaders that my aim should always be to get people to have to be in the heart condition to to love Jesus and to know His Word enough that they want to do good things. Mm-hmm. But this should never be. <coughs> To the best of our ability, and exert uh, to exert pressure directly on the will mm-hmm. in things that are that are kind of gray areas. Yeah. So, like you know, one of the, one of the standard things you hear in churches is a, a pastor pressuring people to give money uh-huh. or to serve in a ministry. Someone's already served in three or four ministries, and they're going to serve in another ministry. And it's like, well, you really should, you know, put pressuring people mm-hmm. or something. And I I don't ever want to do that. That's something we have to guard ourselves against because we can abuse that role. Yeah. You, you and I both are aware of that. So I, I like this, that he is saying to him, I have my opinion on what you should do, but I want you to do this from the heart. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really good. Yeah. Now, if it's a straight up sin, then that's maybe different. <laughs> like you better stop that sin. You so, better not own slaves. <laughs> you better not own slaves. Um, definitely not in the, the, the chattel slavery kind of way. So verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So he kind of reveals his purpose in the letter. <clears throat> It's for Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So while he was in prison, this is one of the prison epistles, along with mm-hmm. you know Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. 
So it was one of those <clears throat> prison epistles, and he's, he's pointing out that this is when the conversion happened. And that you, he says in verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, you know, sending my, my very heart. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So he's saying, he's been serving me and I would have loved to have kept him, but there was a, a right thing to do here, which mm. is that Onesimus as a brother, Philemon and Onesimus are both believers now, Onesimus has to make things right with Philemon. Yeah. And so Paul is sending him back right now to figure this out. And he says in verse 15, I think verse 15 and 16 are so key to the whole book. Verse 15 says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Hmm. So this is so important. So he's saying there's probably reason in why these bad things happened in your mind of having your slave, you know, our bond servant, abandon you so that you know God's working a purpose here that you could have him back, not just as a slave, not just in that function, but actually as a brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. So this speaks to that now the person who's a master or slave, they're equals mm-hmm. in the eyes of God. Yeah. Right there's there's not a difference in terms of their role in the kingdom or their status in the kingdom. This is very important, and and he calls him a brother, and and he says a brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Right. So we we would get the idea of being a brother in the Lord because they're believers, but he's also saying in the flesh, which is really interesting. Hmm. So he's saying the implication. I, I believe what he's saying the implications of. A slave being saved is that you're now brothers, and that your treatment of him should be brotherly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this points us back to the book of Leviticus. So, in, in Leviticus, we have rules about slaves, and in Leviticus twenty five thirty nine, th- there's this command. It says, "If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave." So. That was forbidden for those who are blood brothers. You know, if it's a Jew, you can't enslave them. You can't make them serve that lowest level. You have to have them serve as just a hired laborer, mm. right? So pay them, but don't have that same treatment or the same status of slavery. Right. So I, I really believe this statement from Philemon essentially is undermining the very possibility of slavery. Mm. If you're gonna, if you're saying that someone who's a slave is your brother. Like you know, one of my favorite Christmas songs by Oh Holy Night, right? The slave is our brother. That's a big statement that undermines. Right. It creates a a faulty foundation for slavery to be built upon. Right. It eventually can't survive because imagine a world in which you realize as a slave that you have a Christian master that all you have to do is become a Christian and now you're equals. Yeah. In, in that sense. And now they have to treat you as a brother in the flesh and in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I believe that there's a lot of stuff going on here in this book that would actually functionally make slavery impossible. Right. Yeah, it's fair. So while you don't ever have a direct statement in Scripture of don't have slaves, mm-hmm. again, if you go back to our Exodus and Leviticus and all that, you'll see, I mean, there is, uh, there's always been the death penalty for kidnappers. So if you forcibly enslave someone, you get the death penalty. So right there, it makes any sort of modern slavery 
you know, again, what we saw a few hundred years ago, it makes that impossible. Yeah. Shipping people from one continent to another as your prisoners. So that's automatically gone. Um, but then also you see that the very nature of slavery was different than what we had. And now the spiritual reality changes so much. Mm. So really interesting stuff here in, in Philemon. And then verse 21, he says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Mm. So that's <laughs> great. That's great. So um, yeah, I, I skipped over verses 17 through 19, but he says, right, so he says, I'm going to pay whatever he owes to you, so charge to my account. Mm. And then verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Mm. So Philemon, you wouldn't be a believer in Jesus if it wasn't for me. And so I want you to now pay it forward and, and honor and give grace and love to this new brother in the faith. Mm. So, so many implications for our spiritual life, right? In terms of what the household of God should look like and how we should treat others. Yeah. Um, Christianity, while it does, as we've seen so often, it upholds good relations in home and order in the family and all these things. It also does radically change how we should view those around us. Oh yeah. As yeah. in the image of God and saved by God and valued in yeah. Christ. Yeah. It restructures all parts of society and our lives around Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Awesome. Well, that's all we got for today. Yep. And uh, thanks for joining us for Titus and Philemon. And we'll see you next week as we start the book of Hebrews.